0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Frogs of War podcast. We have a very special guest this evening. We are joined by none other than the Banhammer himself, Mr. Scott Bowes, all the way from the Cayman Islands. Yes, hello. Scott, thanks so much for being here with us tonight.
1: Frogs of War pod, international edition.
0: Yes, as you can all probably guess, Jamie is unavailable this week. He's out of town. So I don't want to say that we've brought the A-team, but clearly... We have brought at least the C team, and that is a great thing. So. Um, we, are, we are here to talk TCU at, at a rough stage in the season here as the Frogs are coming off of their first loss of the year. And unfortunately, it is to the rival SMU Mustangs. But before we dive headlong into that joyous occasion, uh, we do want to mention that T- Jamie and I will be live at Punch Punchbowl Social in Fort Worth next week, Monday night. September 30th, 6.30 p.m. We say this because as much as we enjoy talking to an empty room that we do most Mondays, it's way more fun if you all come out and join us live. Plus, Bowl has awesome food, awesome drinks, games yeah, to play. Beer. Plus beer. And we are much better if you've had a couple drinks than you. I can promise you'll enjoy it a lot more. So uh, please make sure that you come on down. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook. Let us know if you want to come. Um, we'd love to see you all there and uh, talk to TCU in person and, and eat and drink together. Um, with that happy, happy news set to the side, Scott, I guess we might as well jump into what happened on Saturday, and Oof. that is TCU falling to SFU for the first time since 2011. Scott, did you get a chance to watch the game? And if so, what were your first impressions?
1: I did. I did. So I managed to uh, to utilize a streaming service here. so. Um, Perfectly yeah, legal, I'm sure. <laughs> it was um, it was a rough one to watch. Obviously, that first half is one of the more I can't remember a more frustrating first half than um, playing against a Baker Mayfield Texas Tech back in uh, who, who knows what year that was, 2016 maybe. Um, and uh, I mean, really, just seeing a team that that can't really get. Um, can't really get anything going on offense and just really got smacked in the mouth on, on defense. I mean, I think they really, TCU came into that game um, obviously a bit deflated, right? We all expect uh, to kind of going go into a Kansas uh, or SMU game, uh, for that matter, thinking it's a trap game. Our guys you know, aren't going to come out as explosive or anything like that. But um, I think to, to that degree, um, none of us really expected um, you know, that, that it was going to carry on for that long, right, especially, um, into you know, well into the, the second quarter and even into some into the third quarter as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I fully expected TCU to trail at the half. It, it just felt like one of those years where SMU had some momentum. They'd been playing well to start the season. They had racked up three wins for the first time since 84. Um, I thought the Frogs might find themselves behind, but maybe in more of a – 14-13 to 13 or, or, you know, 13-7 to 7 kind of a game. But to see the way that SMU came up and just immediately marched down the field before I even had time to focus my camera, uh, it was a really eye-opening experience. And Patterson said after the game that, that they out-coached them, that they outplayed them, and I think the thing that was really the difference was they out-emotioned them. This game has meant more to SMU than TCU for a really, really long time, and they are talented enough now and coached well enough now to go up and take it from the Horned Frogs, and that's what they did on Saturday. Um, Despite leaving a very bitter taste in TCU fans' mouths, there were still some positives to take from the game. Uh, What's your first up that you feel was a a good thing you saw Saturday afternoon?
1: Uh, Number one, Darius Anderson. Literally carries this team on his back. Now he's had back-to-back game games of well over hundred yards in both. Um, you know he's definitely come out to the first handful of games this season, and um, I mean, really been the back we all expected him to be. Um, you know, I think he's one of he's um, he's one of the most underrated players, um, maybe in the entire state at the moment, um, if not all of college football. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, like I said, just, just carrying the, you know, putting the rest of the TCU team, uh, in his backpack as, uh, our own very own (laughs) Mason would say.
0: Yeah. I think Anderson has obviously been a really bright light and he's putting himself in position to be. Doak Walker finalist or you know, one of the uh, the Tyler Rose Award winners or something like that. Um, and the thing I've really enjoyed most about him is we talked to him after Purdue and we had a chance to talk to him after SMU and, and his message was the same. It's not about how many yards he racks up. It's not about his personal success. He doesn't care who's toting the rock. He wants to win. And I think his leadership is going to be really valuable for what is a really, really young team ultimately uh, down the stretch and, and heading in off of the loss into Kansas. Um, I also think that it's worth noting that while the quarterback questions are not going to end this year, I mean, that just seems to be a given at this point, I think there are a lot of positives to take from what Max Duggan did the second half Saturday. Uh, he finally got some plays that allowed him to get into a little bit of a rhythm and seemed to, when he didn't have to make as many decisions and it was just find a guy that's open and get him the ball, he seemed a lot more confident and a lot more competent uh, as far as, as dropping back and passing and making good decisions still hurts him that he doesn't have anybody stepping out and making plays for him. The receivers are, for the most part, making the catches that they should, but they're really not doing much more than that. And uh, for a young freshman quarterback, the opportunity to gain confidence by just seeing guys do good things when you get on the ball, um, I think could go a long way. And so hopefully that's something that, that is going to get better as the season progresses.
1: Yeah, and I think more to that point too. He he uh, the kids got obviously a rocket arm. I mean, every time we we I watch him throw a football, he's throwing it at 80 miles an hour <laughs> down downfield. So, it's you know, I it's, it's to some degree I don't necessarily blame our wide receivers. Um that being said, there's certainly some catchable balls that they take, um, but but I think to some degree, and I, I you know I just blame it on being a young quarterback. He's he's got to learn a little bit of of touch on some of the throws that he makes, um, particularly when he's doing checkdowns. I mean, he doesn't need to do a checkdown to to Darius Sanderson and throw it to him at 80 miles an hour when he's five yards away. I mean, yeah. you got to get it to him quick, but you know you don't <laughs> you don't want to bounce it off his off the numbers of his chest. So um yeah and, and same with the long ball um obviously he wants to get it downfield in, in a hurry but um you know you got to put a little bit of air onto that ball and not throw a laser downfield and make the you know allow the wide receiver a bit more uh our wide receiving core a bit more time to be able to actually make a play on the ball
0: yeah I think that you know Obviously, he's got to have the ability to do this because just a few months ago, he was throwing these passes to Iowa high school receivers that weren't going Division One. So somewhere in his history, he's been able to to put the right touch on his throws. Um, I've, I'm not worried about no that, doubt. and yeah. you know the, the comments and the fans and everybody. Everybody's calling for Alex Delton, and I'm just not on that train at this point. Max Duggan gives us the best chance to win ball games, and it's not going to be without growing pains, but you just have to see the way the defense reacts when Delton is in the game versus how they play when Duggan's in the game to realize that I think it's better to ride with the freshman and see if he can improve than it is to completely take away any threat of a passing game. Um, Let's just get this out here. Justin Rogers is probably not playing football for TCU this year. At this point, he has not been medically cleared. He's on the field. He's stressed out as an emergency quarterback. But uh, Patterson has made it clear that until they feel really comfortable about his health, he's not going to set foot on the field, and I just don't see that happening. Um, Matthew Baldwin, the transfer from Ohio State, also recovering from surgery in the offseason. He is not only uh, behind because he missed fall camp being injured – But he's only had a couple of weeks, really, in the TCU football system, and he hasn't taken a whole lot of live snaps. He is not coming in to save this program. Those guys are not reasonable options this year, and neither one of them is likely to play barring something completely – Uh, I would say unfortunate, but more likely something like we saw last year. Uh, The only other guy who has a chance to come on the field and I think make a positive difference is Mike Collins, who also not fully healthy. So this right now comes down to Delton and Duggan with a chance that Collins could get back in the mix here soon. But there is no way that Gary Patterson and Sonny Cumbie are making a change at quarterback heading into Big 12 play unless... Max Duggan is god-awful terrible, and I don't think that's what we've seen from the kid through the first couple of games that he's, that he's really played in. So let's let's call it what it is. This is Max Duggan's show until he either completely implodes or something like an injury or something happens, and that's just where we are, and that's where we're going to be for the next nine games.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I not to beat a dead horse here, but, you know, C- be in my opinion— um, the offense needs to give him some easier throws kind of at the beginning. Yeah. And the wide receivers do need to do a better job of catching the ball to get him in a rhythm because where do you start the game, 1 for 10? That can't happen. You, you just cannot have a young quarterback um, trying, to, trying to make things happen when, when it's not there and guys are making drops around the field. The team has to help him out. The play calling has to help him out to get started um, on a good note, even against a, a tough defense, let alone SMU.
0: And I, and I want to get back to that here after we finish our three up, three down, uh, because I think there's a little bit more to be said on that particular topic. And, and you gave us a nice segue, um, but I'm going to go ahead and force in our last up uh, <laughs> as opposed to jumping into that cleanly like we should. Uh, and, you know, I think that the guy we, – we've seen Garrett Wallows putting up ridiculous numbers. Uh, he leads the Big 12 in tackles. He's he's over 30 on the season. And he's had double digits the last two games. He had 19 – Um, Or he's more than 30 tackles. Sorry, that's incorrect. He had 19 last week alone. Um, He's been really good. But the guy that nobody's talking about is the guy that's not putting up stats, but that is absolutely giving other people the opportunity to. And that's Ross Blacklock. Uh, This is a future first round NFL draft pick and that's likely to happen next spring Uh, he is taking on a double or triple team and often a chip too every single time and there's no excuse for the rest of the defensive line not to be wreaking havoc when you have Bethley and Blacklock eating up so much attention in the middle and I'm shocked that the defensive ends haven't been better uh, based on just how good Ross Blacklock has been playing early.
1: Yeah and it's surprising to look at at Blacklock's stats um and see that he had more tackles in the SMU game than than in the Purdue uh and the opener combined um but at the same time he had more sacks in the first two games uh eat one in each of the first two games and and I think that um really speaks to how much smu double teamed him and really cut him off all game and it seemed like the guys the the senior leadership um and and the other guys on the defensive line were able to really pick up the slack there against um what obviously was a superior smu game plan and um not not just game plan but um heart and all those other things we talked about at the beginning effort i mean all, all that all that stuff
0: yeah, it's it's really – and this comes back again. We've been talking about this all season, but what do you do in this scenario when you have guys like Blacklock who's gone after this year more than likely? You have a guy like Rager who – assuming that this mini slump doesn't stick around, is gone after this year. You have a senior like Jeff Gladney at corner and at safety, you have Ennis Gaines, and you have so much veteran talent on the defensive side of the ball. And and then the two running backs who have been ridiculous. How do you make sure you don't waste that opportunity? But at the same time, like if the young guys aren't stepping up around them, it's not going to matter. And I I guess that's a good time to segue into kind of our three down uh, situation. area here. Uh, and I guess with all the talk about the offense and the play calling and the quarterback, there's one person that has got to look long and hard in the mirror um, at watching film yesterday and today, and that's Gary Patterson. His defense gave up 41 points. Some of that was short field, but at the end of the day, if you're giving up 41 points to SMU on your home field, that's, that's not okay, right? If you're supposed to be TCU and your defense completely shut down Purdue a week ago.
1: Yeah, and if I can put my tinfoil hat on here for just a minute, if you remember, go back to last year. Sunny was it last year? I think Sonny Dykes was mm-hmm. a um, an assistant um, or or advisor to the analyst, CCU yeah, program. Yeah, analyst, yeah, offensive analyst, offensive analyst to the CCU program. Um, and that's not to say that I think he's stealing signs or or anything like that. What my point is, I think what a lot of coaches um, have have looked at when they look at TCU is realized that Gary Patterson is, um, will go back and look at your last, however many games, not just the last game you played, not just the last season, but I mean, many, many multiple games when, you know, the starting the week beforehand, sometimes off starting often starting the off season beforehand. And he finds the tendencies and finds it, finds what you're used to in, uh, what your offense runs when you're in any given set. Right. Um, and I think Sonny Dykes may have gotten a little bit of inside scoop, at least to the the knowledge that that's what Gary Patterson does. And I have no knowledge to back this up, but maybe switch things up against the TCU defense and caught them very much off guard um, and caught Gary Patterson off guard with some of the play calling. Uh, I, mean, well, we've...
0: I was going to say, I'll back it up for you. Patterson full-on said after the game that – the coaches on the SW sideline were taking the signals and yelling at their guys what was coming. And, I mean, he Patterson said, I've got to switch up my signs. And the fact that he didn't switch up his signs when he was facing a coach that was on his staff, I mean, that, that. – Gary Gary Patterson's the greatest coach in TCU history. He's one of the greatest coaches in the, the country. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just perplexed. At why that happened, and and when we reporters tried to ask Wallo about it after the game, and he was he said, "I'm not saying nothing about that," and he said, "I didn't hear anything." Like so, there was definitely something going on um, that was pretty obvious, and, it, and you can't like you're in a league where you're playing the same team every single year. You've got a system that that works and is effective, but you got to change it up and mix it up and make it a little bit harder for folks to know what you're doing.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that takes us to our other down uh, of, the, of, of which there are many, but we selected three, um, and that's youth in the secondary being a problem. Um, now we've got three freshmen in the secondary. If I'm two not mistaken. freshmen and
0: a sophomore, shirt freshman, true freshman, and a sophomore started on Saturday afternoon.
1: Now I saw some complaints about Gladney, the senior cornerback. Um, over the weekend and I personally thought he played a better game than most but what we certainly had was a lot of guys um, especially in zone coverage just leaving a ton of space for SMU receivers Mm -hmm. and and their tight end especially um, and really getting burned on a lot of things and just I mean leaving the easy throws open for uh, Shane Bichelle to be able to just distribute the ball and he's I mean, I mean, he's not the the he's a, he's a very solid quarterback. I will say that much about Shane Bouchelle. And when you leave him that much window, or any decent quarterback, uh, that that those big windows with to throw in for the those receivers, I mean, it's it, it's going to be a bad time. You're going to have a bad time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought Gladney played pretty poorly by his ridiculously high standards, uh, but it was, it was there was a lot of time because the pass rush was basically non-existent. He was in one-on-one coverage pretty much the entire tank game, and what was happening was Bouchelle had time to fling it out there, and the difference was his SMU receivers were going up and making plays over TCU corners. A lot of them were contested catches, but they were making plays. TCU receivers were not. I mean, Jalen Rager had the ball knocked out of his hands. Uh, Tay Barber had the ball knocked out of his hands. Darius Davis had the ball knocked out of his hands. Uh, That's the difference between a veteran, super talented receiving core, and TCU's really, really young one is... When they had – the SMU receivers had opportunities to make plays over TCU's really good cornerback, they did. Uh, and, and when TCU's did over SMU's less good cornerbacks, they didn't. And uh, the youth doesn't help that either. I'm sure guys are out of positions. Keon Stewart has done a really nice job for the Frogs, starting as a true freshman. Get, but hopefully they'll have Julius Glad uh, uh, Julius Lewis back this week. He was dressed out and expected to play and, and wasn't quite good to go in warm-ups. But he should return for the Kansas game. That makes a huge difference. Um, you had uh, – uh, uh the safety uh uh Scott, Vernon Scott, uh, he missed the game. I don't know what his uh, his status is for this week. Um, and then you've got, you know, so Darius Washington made his first start of his career as a redshirt freshman at the safety position. Ennis Gaines just looked slow Saturday. That was one of the, the poorer games I've seen him play since he really burst onto the scene last year. Um, and then I think that uh, Trevon Merrick was still really solid and really strong, um, but wasn't quite as eye-popping as he was the week prior. And so all of that together just kind of makes things a little bit rough uh, when you're playing a really explosive attack like SMU's. Uh, in that vein, SMU's attack was explosive. They were explosive early. But for the third straight game, the horn Frogs really struggled out of the gate. Uh, this was Duggan's first start. He was the first guy to take snaps for the first time this season. And it didn't seem to make much of a difference. The, the offense continued to stall. Uh, there, there were issues getting with the play calling and trying to get him into a rhythm. Um, and, and it just looked like they didn't know what was going on out there. What were your impressions of the offense early?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like I said uh, a little bit earlier, the 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 one for one for ten start for Duggan um, is just as um, just as indicative of the of the offense and the players around him as it is Duggan himself, right? I mean. It, it, He he needs we the play calling needs to help him out. You need to set up some Mm -hmm. easy. I mean, I know there were some screen plays, but those got stuffed immediately by SMU. Um, You know, you need to have some short slants. I mean, I I honestly don't know what the answer is. I'm not a football coach, but what I do, what I can't see with my own eyes is whatever we were doing was not working. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the running game, you know, wasn't wasn't getting going either. So that's going to stall um, the, the you know Duggan Duggan and and the passing game, you know, as as a whole. Obviously, we talked about the drops. The drops are going to make an issue. So all of these things kind of just compounded to make it into an awful awful first quarter, mainly. But it also that kind of just carried over into the second quarter, and then sort of just kind of hung around all game um, with, with the with the slow start.
0: Well, and I think that that's where we need to bring up to what to me was the most surprising part of all of this. And that was as I, and, and I'm going to kind of steal Gil LeBreton's uh, uh, narration from his art. It was a really, really good article on PressBox CFW. But uh, I too was late getting into the press room. I had to go drop off my photo vest. And so I was huffing and puffing up the stairs. And as I got to the top of the stairs and I looked up and leaning against the wall and kind of the shadows of Sunny Cumbie, I did a double take. Um... We've only been covering TCU football from inside for two seasons now, but there are reporters in that room that had been there since the beginning, since Gary Patterson started coaching the team, and every one of them said they can never remember a time where one of the offensive coordinators, one of the assistant coaches, was made available to the media after the game. Uh, Patterson backtracked a little bit on his conference call, said that uh, everything was fine, that he and Cumbie were great. But it was very telling to me after that game to hear Patterson say, this is my fault, it's on me, blame me, and, and telling everybody I don't want to hear about the play calling, I don't want to hear about the quarterbacks, and then throwing his OC to the Wolves after a tough loss like that. Uh, all is not well in TCU Paradise right now. There is definitely some friction, and I think there's probably some bitterness there too. I mean, they chose Cumbie over Meacham several years ago. Meacham wanted to come back this fall. Um Cumbie is supposed to be the guy, and I still think he has the talent to be a great offensive coordinator at TCU. Um, I think that, that they've long believed he was going to be the coach in waiting. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but at the end of the day, um, he has to be better. And Patterson has to be better too. I mean, we talked about that with the play calling, but uh, I think he's got the talent to win ball games. It's his job to put that talent position to succeed. I am not on the fire, Sonny Cumbie, train. Um, but this is definitely the most concerned that I've been. But again, let's look back. You score 38 points. That should be good enough to win with a, with a Gary Patterson-era TCU defense that's as talented as this one. So um, what I hope happens is, is I hope they all kind of broke bread together at some point yesterday or today and that everybody says, what do we need to do to to put our team in a position to win against Kansas? And they kind of just hash it out and get over themselves and get the egos out of the door and just... Find a way to get wins, because at the end of the day, everybody's going to be on the hot seat if if TCU manages to lose this game this week. That being said, what do we look at now with this TCU team? What are your ex- – after that loss, is that a blip in the road? Is this another season where the Frogs lose to SMU and then go on to win 11 or 12 games? Or is this a sign of worse is yet to come?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it goes back to uh, – and I think the feeling of everybody – after the SMU game it goes back to expectations, right? I mean, I know that a lot of us have kind of predicted somewhere in the eight and seven and nine uh, wins this season, uh, you know, with the possibility of, of double-digit wins. If, if quarterback play was was uh, exceptional um, and, the, and the rest of the offense and, and unknowns and secondary were exceptional, obviously that has not happened thus far. Um, but, but what you really have to go and look at is, I, I think for me at least um, – that the first loss of the season always stings the most because that's when you kind of realize okay this is where our team is and unfortunately that had to come against smu one of our crosstown rivals as opposed to um you know i mean literally any other team on the schedule with the exception of baylor and maybe maybe texas tech um right um i, I think it just comes down to um I hate to say it, but managing expectations of the fans and and realistically, what we think this team can be, um, you know, mo- moving forward. Um, I-, I still think um, it's an eight-win team with the possibility of nine nine wins if we steal one um, from from you know one of the big three—Texas, OU, or, or Oklahoma State—this year. Um, you know but but this team's still got to go out and beat the, those other you know mid-tier uh, big 12 teams and that's not that's not a gatewalk at this point we still don't know um, you know how how high the expectations should be for this team we're just kind of hoping at this point
0: yeah I mean I think we got really ahead of ourselves after what TCU did to Purdue and and thought more about how good TCU was instead of how bad that version of Purdue was possibly and I think Parker did a really nice job on his podcast. Uh, talking about that leading up to the game uh, the SMU game is just how bad that version Purdue was um, that offensively was decimated by losing their quarterback it was really really easy to take away one wide receiver Purdue people tried to tell us that this was the best wide receiving core they had but it was clear once they decided just to go over the top and keep Rondale Moore from breaking out that there was nothing else that team could do their running game I mean they're Their starting running back, I think, was a former fourth-string walk-on. So they just didn't have much. So TCU did what they shouldn't have done against a really, really bad team. But when they played a really competent offense a week later, I I think that instead of us jumping off the ledge, it's more of a – Okay, wait a second. Let's slow our roll. This is a team that was picked to finish fourth, not first, in the Big 12. This is a team that absolutely nobody was talking about being a playoff team. We thought if the quarterback play could be good, that they were a fringe New New Year's 6 team, maybe a team that could beat Texas at home and sneak their way into a Big 12 championship game. But at the end of the day, the realistic – fan base believe that this, like you said, was probably an eight-win team, get to a bowl game and have a chance to win nine. Uh, That's still definitely in the realm of possibility. You get West Virginia as a bad team at home. You get Kansas, who's a bad team at home. Uh, Kansas State obviously looks a lot more difficult. Oklahoma State looks beatable, but it's going to be tough in Stillwater. Uh, Oklahoma obviously looks ridiculously good. Baylor we still don't know a whole heck of a lot about, but they sure look beatable after last weekend. Um, and, And that means that you need to go and you need to find a way to win a game at Iowa State or Kansas State, or Texas Tech, put yourself in that eight-win scenario. And I think that's reasonable. And I think looking at this particular team, this particular season, eight wins would not be a disappointment. It wouldn't be a setback. It would show that we're on the right track with a young quarterback who has a potential to be elite a year or two years from now and really set things up towards the end of Gary Patterson's contract to make a to make a legit run at things. And, and that's it's disappointing. I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm shocked, to say the least, to lose to SMU. But at the same time, I think it's more of a reset the barometer than it is a blow the whole thing up.
1: Absolutely. I agree.
0: All right. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's wipe the slate clean from the iron skillet and start talking about those pesky Jayhawks.
1: Damn, dog. <laughs> yeah, freaking Bower. <laughs>
0: All right, we are back. Uh, I just want to make a point to mention that my dog, Bauer, has once again joined us on the podcast, as he is prone to do. Many of our Big 12 brethren know Bauer well from my podcasting days. Um, he seems to wait until I turn a mic on to start barking. So let's thank him for that. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Bauer. Uh, thanks, Bauer. Uh, Anyways, we're back. No more SMU. No more quarterback talk for this, this podcast. Let's talk about Kansas.
1: Things are looking up. And.
0: Things are looking... So- They're looking. Uh, (laughs) My title to begin this segment was, oh, shit, it's Kansas. And that's really how I feel about things. Uh, There is something quite frightening about playing the Kansas Jayhawks this week. Um, This is a team that two years ago TCU decimated on their home field. Um, One of the best defensive performances that we've seen in the Gary Patterson era. I think they had something like 30 yards going into the fourth quarter. I mean, just an absolute bloodbath at, at the Carter And then we went to Lawrence, and then we had the butt fumble and the trying to recover a kickoff that no one was supposed to touch, and we saw the Frogs lose to the Kansas Jayhawks for the first time since the dawn of the Big 12 era for TCU. And now we lose to SMU, and guess who's coming to town? Those pesky Jayhawks. Scott, can you think of anyone you'd like to play less this week than KU?
1: Hmm. No, I can't, Melissa. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is one of what they call a uh, trap game, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. I mean, we, we've always, I don't say always, the, our last few years in the Big 12, um, obviously Kansas has always been, uh, it's been a trap game for us. We've always somehow managed to come out on top against them until last year. Um, and and I think that again, that was a that was another sort of barometer game, as as you uh, as you mentioned, this year's SMU was. Um, and normally, you know, you have those historical trap games either right before um, some some big matchup or right after um, right after a big win. Uh, you know, something like that that you really have to watch out for those teams that that you you probably shouldn't lose to, but still could, you know, and it's, a, it's sort of any given Saturday sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the the bonus of playing Kansas now is there's no way this team is sleeping on them. Uh, you know, Gary talked about how they came out, and they were so emotionally invested leading into the opener, and then they were super emotionally invested going on the road to play at Purdue uh, because it's just you get up for those types of games. But that there was definitely a downtick in emotion as they prepared for SMU. And I think I, in my one of my post-games, I talked about believing the iron skillet was kind of a birthright. And I think beating Kansas had been a birthright, too, for this TCU team. And that's why they always overlooked them. And, frankly, it should be a birthright for everybody. Kansas has been terrible. Um, but they came out and they punched TCU in the mouth last, last year. And they're going to be ready to do it again. I mean, this is a team that... You know, has all the momentum in the world coming into Big 12 play, who had just doubled up Boston College in Chestnut Hill. And all of a sudden they come home and they play the team that's probably the only team that has a chance to be worse than them this year. And they get beat on their home field by West Virginia. So if you think TCU is mad, and I fully think TCU is mad, Kansas is just as bad. The difference is can they keep up with TCU's talent in 2019?
1: Yeah, you'd almost kind of hope to come into a, a, a much bigger. Matchup after after a loss like that to SMU, um, where the guys are going to be you know even more fired up, and maybe even th- maybe then we would have you know more of an excuse as far as you know why we lost to SMU and saying that was a true yeah. trap game, but but it it wasn't other than really coming like you said coming off the the win from Purdue, um, you know they should they by all means should have been ready, but that's enough about SMU, um, you know the it, it's going to be. It's going to be tough coming against, um, uh, you know, a, a Les Miles coach team um, no matter no matter where he's at. You know, I say that full, fully knowing it is still Kansas, and he's still playing with Kansas athletes from the last four years, and none of them are, are really his athletes as far as I can tell.
0: Well, what do we know about Les Miles? You know, we, we saw him at Oklahoma State put that program on the map go down to LSU, win a national championship, and then do a whole lot of medium. But now he's in the Big 12 again um, in a division that's, you know, in a league that's not as hard as the SEC West during his heyday at LSU. It's not, not quite as deep as it was then. Um, but, but what kind of impact do you expect him to be having on Kansas right now? And what do you think that he's capable of doing in that program in the next couple of years if he sticks around?
1: right yeah and I think he's that's a good point if he sticks around um, personally, I think les miles is is a master motivator um, you know I really think that that he gets he's one of those coaches that gets um, just about the most out of every team that he has, you know sort of regardless of talent um, and so you know if he if he uh, comes up against a, a big matchup, he usually gets his teams no matter where he's at up for those games and they play hard for those games. Um, You know, and maybe that's a reason why they lost to West Virginia. West Virginia is not expected to be much of a threat this year. Um, And so going into that game, maybe they felt the same way that TCU did against SMU there. I did it again. Sorry. Sorry.
0: All right, we'll forgive you. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think we're seeing the the impact that he's having and recruiting going forward. Um, he's doing a lot of the things that less money does. Less, uh, sorry, less miles. That was a, a slip of the tongue there. <laughs> that was actually a slip of the tongue too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that. I mean, that's what he does, and he's building that program to be competitive in the Big Twelve. I, I don't know that he's even enough to to get them competitive quickly. Um, and, and I think that the fact they lost to Coastal Carolina and then they lost their first home opener. Uh, Big Twelve opener and they're two and two tells you that the team's probably not ready to make a bowl game in 2019, uh, but he certainly has, has he's he's a brilliant mind he's a brilliant recruiter he's a master motivator as you said uh, there, Kansas is going to beat some teams they shouldn't this year I have zero doubt in my mind uh, it's TCU's job to make sure they're not one of them I think we've also seen um, his impact and just the, the way that he instills confidence in his players through that ability to motivate. Carter Stanley looks like a completely different guy this year. He's not blowing the doors off. This is not like a Shane Bouchelle type transformation, uh, but he's completing over 70% of his passes, He's averaging over 200 yards a game. Uh, he's not thrown a ton of interceptions, though he does have a have a few. Um, but he he looks like he understands how to how to execute that offense, and it looks like they have a game plan that works. And they found a, a pretty good wide receiver. Um, and I wrote about that in my my article today. And I'm now forgetting his name because why would I be prepared for the podcast? That would seem to be very out of character for me. Um, but th- they have a pretty good. One-two punch and quarterback and wide right receiver. And then I don't want to say they have a pretty good one-two punch when it comes to the running game because Punch and Puka Williams go together a little too seamlessly. Let's
1: um, see what you do there.
0: Yep. Let's talk about this running game. Everybody knows Puka Williams, preseason All-Big 12 caliber player. Uh, Super, super talented running back, uh, uh, probably a future pro. Had some off-the-field issues, (laughs) and he sat his first half for those issues of domestic abuse. Uh, But he's back in. He's playing really well. He's leading the Jayhawks and carries. He's averaging five yards per. He's got a touchdown. Um, He looks like he's gotten himself back into the groove after missing all the offseason activities. Um, But to me, the thing that's been interesting is as good as Puka has been, he might not even be the best running back on his team. That honor may very well belong to the guy playing behind him that has a few less carries, I think 13 less carries, but is averaging almost 10 yards per. And that's Khalil Herbert, bear. I don't know. Um, but he also has two touchdowns as opposed to Puka's one, um, and he, he looks like he might be an even better player than Puka Williams, and that's scary. That's a really potent running attack. We saw SMU run kind of all over the frogs early. Can the, the Jayhawks beat TCU the way that TCU beat Purdue by just pounding the rock up the middle and seeing what happens?
1: I think it's going to be really tough, especially if TCU um, picks picks the running – Backs to really come up against. I mean, one of TCU's strengths on defense, um, coaches have been saying this for years about Gary Patterson, is TCU takes a, TCU's defense takes away your best player. That right last last week, that was. I mean, they mm-hmm. didn't really need to, like you said, against Purdue because of the quarterback. Um, but you know, if if if, if TCU takes away the, their running back, plural, their running backs, plural. Um, like they did, Purdue's wide receiver, uh, star wide receiver, name's escaping me as well. Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore, thank you. Um, I, I think it's going to be not an easy, but I think it's going to be a, a win for TCU where they can they can eke it out. Um, I don't think it's going to be a good one. TCU's TCU's really going to need to get it going on offense against Kansas. Um, well, and that's
0: that's a great point. This Kansas defense isn't good per se. But they have not allowed thirty points per game or thirty points in a game yet in twenty nineteen. So I think that that that's a unit that's capable of making plays and getting stops. They haven't faced a very good offense, um, but but they have been able to kind of keep keep this in a winnable situation for the Kansas O. The big question there is going to be um, if they're the guy that's been their best player, their leading tackler, linebacker, Drew Prox. He is currently questionable for Saturday. If he doesn't play, then I think he kind of has the same impact that we saw at Purdue when they were missing their star, star linebacker. And hopefully the Frogs can use the, the ground and pound to, to eke up yardage and, and get down the field. But if Prox does play and he's full go, um, I, I think it could be a little bit of a slog in the middle for, for both teams um, who both are going to rely on the running game to get a win. Uh, turning that page, what are the keys to victory for TCU on Saturday morning?
1: Well, it kind of goes back to um, well, you know, our our point earlier as far as getting things going early. I I really think that Cumby is got to get Max Duggan in a groove early in the game, and like I said, that goes hand in hand with getting the running game going. Goes hand in hand with the play calling. Goes hand in hand with the wide receivers actually catching the balls that are thrown at their hands. Um, even if they're coming at 80 miles an hour. You know, they they really got to get him going um, on the easy throws first. I mean, that's, that's textbook as far as getting your quarterback confidence, especially as a true freshman, and um, you know, in, in carrying over well into the rest of this game as well as into the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, and Cumbie said as much, too. He, he did take the blame and saying, I didn't call a very good game to start, and it's my job to get the young quarterback in a rhythm and to give him the kind of passes he can make. And he talked about how there needs to, it needs to be simpler, there needs to be fewer reads, um, that when they were playing in the hurry-up, the up-tempo offense late, that's when Max was at his best because he wasn't thinking he was just playing football. And I think that they – would dude would not be surprised to see TCU's first series start to hurry up. If they win the toss, they're taking the ball, and I bet that they go two-minute offense and go right down the field and score. And if I'm TCU, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I want to get on the field. I want to show everybody we're going to put points on the board, and I'm going to do it in a way that catches Kansas on their heels, and I'm going to just go for it and see what happens, let him try to make some plays. Um, on that note, the opposite side of the ball, TC's defense got hit in the mouth hard. Uh, They really took a pummeling. They gave up 41 points, and they were on their heels from literally the first drive of the game. And while they recovered to hold SMU to 10 points in the second half, they still gave up 10 points in the second half. Uh, They need to make a statement. And they don't necessarily have to play like they did at Purdue to win this game. But I would think if I was a defender in that system – I would want to to show the country that they're the team that played in West Lafayette, not the team that got beaten up and down the field Saturday afternoon.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I think that starts again with the defensive line and basically the, the front, uh, the, the front six, I should say, for you know, the, the three-two-five, four-two-five. Um, you know, really, it really is going to count on, in my opinion, stopping that running game. Um, stopping the running game is, is just gonna, you know, allow the very I say that very young secondary to be able to, you know, hopefully hold on just long enough to be able to, you know, get to the quarterback on the passing downs. Um, yeah, I, it's. I mean, I am not saying Kansas is going to be tough, but you really we really need to see a lot more from our defense this week than we saw last week against SMU.
0: I'm calling for a big O'Shawn Mathis game today, this weekend. Um, We heard so much about him. He looks like a monster. He's had some nice moments to start the season. Like, he definitely looks like a solid defensive end. But this is a guy that players will tell you has the talent to be one of the all-timers. And he is only a redshirt freshman. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. Um, But he needs to come out and play. And he needs to go have two sacks on Saturday. Like, if, if O'Shawn Mathis has two sacks... I think this is a TCU win. Uh, and that brings me to my final key to victory, and that is players have to make plays. You know, whether it's Oshan Mathis um, on the defensive line, whether it's, uh, you know, Trevon Merig, whether it's Darius Anderson or Max Duggan or Jalen Rager, we have not called his name enough. Somebody's got to go out there and make plays. And, and Patterson said uh, after the Purdue game even that players make plays. And TCU's got some players. They've got some stars. They've got some guys that were big names coming out of high school. Um, they've got some guys that had high expectations. Thanks, Power. And we have not seen that play out in 2019. It's time for those guys to go do what they're supposed to do and make something happen.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we praised them earlier, but, you know, the Ross Blacklock and Corey Bethley, um, you know, duo, uh, they also need to get sacks. Um, you know, they've mm-hmm. been they've been playing great, but you know if they can sneak through um, and get something and, and and have some more attention focused on them even more so maybe than the, what they've gotten so far, maybe that'll allow the defensive ends to come around and get some sacks, um, or or at least just put pressure on the quarterback. That was something we saw in the Purdue game that they were able to do consistently: is get pressure and knock the quarterback around a little a little bit. Even though they didn't get quite the sack numbers they probably have, had hoped for. Um, the Purdue's quarterback, albeit backup quarterback, really never got into a rhythm you know at all that game.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think you're absolutely right in that regard, is that you put pressure on the quarterback, you send your big guys to do damage, good things tend to happen and, and that's what's gonna that's where it's all gonna start for TCU Saturday morning. Uh, We're going to take a quick break once again. uh, When we come back, we're going to look at the rest of the Big 12 slate uh, and make some predictions for some of the ranked-on-ranked matchups cross-country. All right, we are back. Uh, big uh, Frogs of War podcast here. Again, as a reminder, uh, we'll be live at Punchbowl Social on Monday. Jamie and I uh, will be out in Fort Worth on that street name that I'm afraid to say because it's a family friendly show, but it's spelled F O C H. Uh, great drinks, great food, great atmosphere. Uh, Kirk you know, thank you. Sure, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> All, everything is good, but but the company, um, it's it's Jamie and I. So you know we'll let you decide if that's good or bad. Uh, but before we talk about next week and next Monday's live show, let's take a look around the weekend. Some interesting. This is the biggest slate of Big Twelve games that we've had, with eight of the ten teams playing um, each other, um, and then a, a pretty interesting, although kind of weak slate around the country as well. So first Big Twelve game. Uh, Best team in the conference uh, are being visited by one of the worst teams in the conference as Texas Tech goes to Norman. Red Raiders have a chance here?
1: I really don't think so. I mean, Texas Tech's defense has has maybe mildly improved over last year, but their offense is nowhere near what they've been the last couple of years in being able to carry that, that, that defense. Um, and I think that, that OU is just going to run – OU's offense – Um, is going to run all over them. I mean, in my opinion, OU's offense is just as good as they were last year, Mm -hmm. Um, and their defense actually has slightly improved. They might be a better team than they were last year um, all around.
0: I don't think Jalen Hurts is as good as Kyler Murray, but he's good enough with enough skill, talent around him for that offense to be slightly better. Uh, Alan Bowman, on the other side, seems to have regressed in year two. I don't know if it's a new offensive system or if it's just a sophomore slump, but he looked like the second coming a year ago, and and he just really has not found his groove in uh, 2019. I think Sooners win big. Uh, Iowa State at Baylor. This is a super, super interesting game for both teams. Uh, Iowa State was preseason, picked to finish third in the conference Baylor Baylor was preseason picked to finish sixth. Baylor is undefeated, although they struggled with Rice last weekend. Uh, but this is a team that thinks it should be ranked. And they have a chance to knock off one of the dark horse contenders early in the season and kind of get the Cyclones out of the mix. Do you think they have a chance to do it?
1: I think they do. Do I think they're going to win? Probably not. I think Matt, uh, Matt Rule, um, I like the guy. I don't think he's, he's as good of a... Uh, game planner as Matt Campbell is. Um, Baylor still has some pretty good skill position athletes on their team, um, and and can really have the chance to take it to some some pretty good teams. I also think Baylor is going to be one of those teams that that beat somebody they shouldn't this year. I just don't think it's going to be Iowa State.
0: Yeah, I think Iowa State's really looking to put themselves back on the map. Uh, both Iowa State and TCU fans are probably livid that that game got set for an 11 a.m. kickoff. I know this particular human being is really, really annoyed by that since she's traveling up to the game and was really looking forward to hanging out with our friends at Wide Ride Daddy Light pregame. It's fine. I'm over it. It's totally cool. Uh, but yeah, I think Iowa State is, is going to bounce back. They had a huge second half last week um, against uh, whatever made-up team that they played. Um They scored 72 points, and Levi was complaining about how their defense wasn't very good. Okay, Levi, we lost to SMU. You can shut up now. Um, So I think Iowa State comes in, and it's going to be a close game. I think it'll be a really entertaining game, but I think the Cyclones find a way to get it done on the road. Uh, That brings us to what, to me, is the best game in the Big 12 of the weekend and this is a pretender-contender separation game right here, and that is Kansas State at Oklahoma State. The Wildcats were the biggest surprise of the Big 12 early in the season. They're undefeated. They went to Starkville and won big. Um, they Well, not big, but they they definitely controlled the tempo of that game. Uh, they have looked really, really good in Chris Klayman's first season at the helm. Uh, are the Wildcats for real?
1: I think they are, and I think they're going to end up probably being – I dare say it number 3 in the conference wow. ahead of ahead of Oklahoma State. Wow. However, I don't think that they're going to beat Oklahoma State this week. If that sounds okay. crazy. Sure. That's fine, It call me crazy, but I think that Oklahoma State at home with the offense that they have, uh, it's going to end up being a night game by the, by the second second or third quarter. I, I think that's a real still is a really tough place to play, and I think Oklahoma wins a close one that Kansas State tries to control the tempo of, but ultimately Oklahoma State's skilled players and that offense come out on top.
0: Yeah, I mean the the Cowboys played really tough in Austin. They they always do. I think they've won five out of the last seven games down there um, at Texas. They've won more games at Texas than any team in the, the conference. Period. So uh, they they aren't they aren't a bad football team. Spencer Sanders has been a little bit all over the map, like you'd expect from a first year starter. Uh, but Stillwaters a really really tough place to play. I am not quite buying Skylar Thompson. And the Wildcats, yet. I think it's going to be an interesting game, but I think Cowboys find a way to come out on top. Uh, Let's go around the country before we come back and, uh, hey, before we come back and deal with uh, uh, TCU's game. Uh, Game day is at, sorry, I had to throw a pillow at my dogs. Uh, Game day is at Nebraska because, sure, uh, to when the uh, Huskers and Scott Frost welcome in Ohio State, this is a not a ranked game. I don't think, so. think Nebraska is ranked, but do they have any chance of waking the black shirts from the echoes and beating a Buckeyes team that has looked playoff bound?
1: I don't think so. Um, in Nebraska is going to get up for this game. Um, I, I think this isn't this is a similar situation as Les Miles at Kansas, where um. You know Scott Frost isn't, isn't working with the athletes yet that, that he wants. that He's recruited that he wants in a system, and so ultimately it's going to be a bigger motivator. <laughs> he's going to have to be a bigger motivator than he is coach, if that makes any sense at all for this game. Um, that being said, it's Ohio State. They're not going to need a ton of motivation to come out on top, but Ohio State just has, I mean, there's such a force there. They're, 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 they're just too good. I mean, frankly, Ohio State's just too good. Uh, I I don't think Nebraska really has much of a chance. They might hold on through one or two quarters, uh, but Ohio State's going to come out in the third and the fourth and just blow them away.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten is annually one of the worst conferences in the country, but everybody thinks that it's good because they have so many blue blood type names. Michigan is annually the most overrated team through the first month of the season. Uh, Wisconsin is going to beat up on a bunch of garbage teams and then go out and lose the ones that matter in embarrassing fashion. We know that about them. Nebraska's that program that everybody wants to return to relevance and glory. At the end of the day, they're just not that good. Um, They only have the one loss at Colorado, what was a really, really crazy finish. But at the end of the day, they're not going to stay on the field with Justin Fields and Ohio State. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be close through a quarter, and then you're going to see the Buckeyes prevail. This is not going to be like the Purdue-Ohio State game was a season ago at all. Um, another ranked matchup, Notre Dame really played, speaking of overrated teams, um, played Georgia pretty tough early, but the Bulldogs kind of just out-muscled them down the end. Kirby Smart had one of the worst game plans I've seen uh, for that game. He really took the, the winning mentality away from his team, it seemed, and played control uh, when he didn't need to. Virginia somehow is number 18 in the country. I don't know anything about that program, if I'm being perfectly honest, other than our uh, former basketball writer Christian is uh, there in grad school, so that's what I got. But uh, (laughs) any surprises here? Is Notre Dame going to get a win, bounce back?
1: I can't stand Notre Dame as much as the next person, but I think they come away with a win this year. Virginia uh, has come out of what, in my opinion, at least from our neck of the woods, um, has been relatively nowhere. Um, yeah. But but when you look at their slate, I mean, they've beaten two FCS teams, um, a, a Pittsburgh team that is up and down every year and usually in the, the second uh, half of the ACC standings, um, and they beat Florida State by a touchdown, a really bad Florida State team. Um, I'm not saying Virginia is going to be bad this year. I think they're going to be pretty good, but I don't quite think that they're um, they're good enough to be in the um, upper echelon of the top 25, and I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame at home.
0: Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame's good, but I think Virginia's less good than Notre Dame is. Um, So it's probably going to be an ugly, sloppy ACCs game that that Notre Dame manages to pull away in the fourth quarter and get a win. Um, Speaking of ugly, sloppy, terrible conferences, uh, how about that Pac-12? Already in playoff eliminated for the most part here, barring something completely crazy in one of the other conferences, um, i.e. Oklahoma or Ohio State, not cruising to the conference championship games and winning those. Um, But USC is down to their third five- star quarterback, (laughs) Uh, and Washington bounced back after getting beat by our friends, the Cow Bears, whom we can forever hold winning the cheese the bowl over now that they actually look like a legitimately good team. Uh, SC goes on the road to Seattle in Washington, where it's really generally tough to win and takes on a Cougar uh, Washington Huskies team that that hasn't been as good as people expected. Is that going to continue, or does USC come back down to earth a little bit this weekend?
1: Uh this is a tough one for me to call because I I think that both teams are just about as equal in terms of <laughs> just my unscientifically being good. Um mm-hmm. I I think that Washington is going to have more six su- have have sorry I think USC is going to have more success in their division than Washington is in the Pac-12 North. Mm-hmm. Um but uh it's it's hard to think that USC is going to go into Seattle and leave with the win, even if USC, you know, maybe loses to Notre Dame next week, but beyond that, wins out and, and makes a New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, it's it, I, I think Washington comes away with a very close one, but it's one that I'm definitely going to watch, and I wish it was a primetime game instead of 2.30, but um, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Washington gets that win, but, but it could be interesting. I'm not 100% buying into USC. I think that they've started strong in the past, but uh, Clay Helton is coaching for his job right now, and he's got his team behind him. I just don't know if it's going to last very long once the big games start. Although, like you said, the Pac-12 South, not very good this year. So we'll see how that goes. All right, that brings us to our final most important game of the week, that mighty, mighty national implication matchup. TCU hosts Kansas which team, TCU team, do we see? The 2017 team that dominated and made a statement or the 2018 team that butt-fumbled butt fumbled their way to a loss in Lawrence?
1: Why Game Day didn't choose right? this game is beyond me. <laughs> I, I don't really, it. I really don't know what the implications that this game is going to have. Um, I, think, I think TCU comes out and wins. I don't think it's going to be a very clear win until probably late in the third, um, early fourth quarter. I think TCU is going to kind of go, going to go back and forth, um, try and establish the run game while stopping Kansas as much as they can, as long as they don't make some of the mistakes they made last week against SMU, just sort of those unlucky fumbles, um, the, the the you know limit the interceptions, just turnovers in general, and don't give up more than one or two big plays. I think that they're going to come out, um, win in the trenches, ultimately pull away towards the end with that running game with Darius Anderson and CWO Just please don't let don't make CWO sorry, Shewo, Shewo pass the C-U-O ball. sounds like a Say like what?
0: a Houston rapper though.
1: Uh, sorry. I was thinking too much of that pass and reading his name on the back saying, why are you passing the ball? Uh, <laughs> in any case, please don't make Shalow pass the ball. Yeah. Um, he, he, the man needs to run the football. He is a man-child. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think t c is going to come out with a win.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think the Frogs can get it done this weekend. I think they have to. I think this is a turning point in the season. Um, it's a matter of what do you want the next 10 weeks to be? Do you, do you want to be a contender in the Big 12? Do you want to fight for a spot in the title game? Or do you want to kind of throw in the towel before your season's ever really began? And the one thing that we can say about a Gary Patterson football team, they don't often quit. Uh, we saw a lot of heart out of a lot of these guys a season ago, just to make it to a bowl game, despite all the injuries, despite all the all the things swirling around that program, and, and they managed to get it done. And so, I would expect them to ride right the ship here. I don't think that this is going to be the start of a 20-game winning streak, but I, I definitely think it's going to. This is going to be one of those games that shows us what this TCU team is capable of doing in conference play. Um, it's going to be a little sloppy; they're not going to run away from it, uh, but I, I think they they pull away late and, and end up winning by by several scores. So. I guess we'll find out bright and early at 11 a.m. Scott, thank you so much for joining us this week um, on the Frogs of War podcast. Those of you who listen, we appreciate it so much. Uh, Please follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, Lots of great content, especially when uh, we let... Parker take over with the statistical stuff and uh, check out all of our stuff on frogsaward.com. Uh, we've got lots in the in the tank here for the Kansas preview, of course. Um, and I think that uh, just our staff right now is just so top notch that, that you got to be checking us out, and reading us. And then please, 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 we beg for this every week. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Even if you want to give us one star, um, we would appreciate it. We won't appreciate one star, but we'll still take it.
1: Um, you can give me one star.
0: You can give Scott one star, or give me one star and say star and say you want Scott and Jamie takeover also fine Uh, but please follow us on itunes spotify podbeam stitcher everywhere podcasts are found um we we love that you guys listen it means a lot um and and we would love to to be able to to continue to do this and, and get more people to find uh the work that's going on and of course again one last plug next week September thirtieth, Monday, six thirty p.m. Punch Bowl Social in Fort Worth. Please join us. Bring your family. Bring the kids. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. I promise. Um, I'll even try to see if I can get Jamie to buy you a small portion of beer. And by that, I mean maybe we'll all split a pint. It'll be fun. Scott, <laughs> I thanks wish Jamie again. Would Jamie buy me a beer? <laughs> I, I'm gonna have him. Uh, I'm gonna have him fly you one out. What's the rules on that? We can make it happen. That'd be great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Melissa Troopwasser.
1: I'm Scott Bose.
0: Go Frogs.
1: Go Frogs. Thanks, everybody.